0: We're going to continue our, sur- our study of Hebrews chapter 11 uh, today, and we're going to study uh, Samson and Jephthah, two judges, uh, and uh, I think Mark started us out last week uh, with a couple of the judges, we're going to give you a couple more today. I'm a little, I, I know you're asking the obvious question that I'm asking, which is why would Pastor Steve choose the six foot five, 300 pound guy that's bald, that shaves his head every single day to do Samson? You might think that he might be trying to send me a subtle or not so subtle message i'm going with it was a coincidence it's just a coincidence has nothing to do with any personality attack on me directly but hebrews hebrews 11 is really the the, the chapter about faith in the bible it starts by defining what faith is and then it goes on to give us examples of people who lived over the course of, of biblical history that a believed that god was and that their belief or their faith in god resulted in them actually doing something they, their, their faith resulted in works. Thanks for those lights. That helps me a lot. The faith resulted in works. Uh, and those works pleased God. But, they, but the, the whole idea of, of, of um, Hebrews is to help us to understand that the central issue in God's mind is faith. The people in the book of Hebrews are not perfect by any stretch. We've Our study has now shown us that they were all flawed. Some of them very deeply flawed. So it's not that they they didn't make the Hall of Fame uh, of, of, of um, faith because they were perfect or even great people in some cases but it was because they had faith. And you know this whole issue of faith, you know, it, we have to get honed in on it because our relationship with God begins by faith. He, Ephesians 2 verse 8 tells us for for by grace <coughs> we are saved through faith. So it's our faith that initiates God's grace. So we're we're saved by the grace of God But it's through faith faith is what starts this whole thing moving and without faith there is no movement forward and then the scripture goes on to tell us the just shall live by faith and then in hebrews 11 verse 6 it says but without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to god must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those that diligently seek him so you know a lot of times we as, as natural human beings we we like to think about how somebody looks on the outside what they do what they don't do as being what's really important and God's saying it starts with faith do not lose track of this is the central issue of what's going on in life so let's read the text together hebrews 11:32 32 and 33 and what more shall i say for time would fail me to tell of gideon Barak, samson jephthah of david and samuel and of the prophets who through faith what did they do they conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouth of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness, Samson. And they were made mighty in war, Jephthah, and put armies to flight. So this is our text for today. Uh, and now we're going to go back to the book of Judges. To give you some historical context, if you weren't here last week, Samson and Jephthah are, served God during the time of the judges. So the, judges, the time of the judges went from the death Of Joshua to the beginning of King Saul or the beginning of the monarchy. And this period of time of the judges was about a 200-year period of time. And during that time, the nation of Israel was functioning as God wanted to do as a theocracy. So God was king. They had no earthly or human king, and God was trying to free them from having an earthly king. Kings were oppressing people. Kings were enslaving people. Kings used people. And God says, you don't need a king. I'll be your king. And with that freedom, the, the, the nation of Israel abused it. So we see in, in Judges 21, 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was, right, what was right in his own eyes. So they now are not following any king because there's nobody oppressing them or enslaving them or, or penalizing them with guns and, and knives. Uh, Judges ten-six. The people of Israel did what, what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the god of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And worse than serving all the other gods, they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the God that led them out of Israel, Egypt, and the God that's, that protected and provided for them was the one God that they didn't serve. And so the, the book of Judges is characterized by seven cycles of sin, repentance, salvation, sin, repentance, and salvation. So as we try to pick this up, uh, at the end of Gideon, Gideon uh, tossed the Midianites out, defeated them, and there was peace in in the nation of Israel during the life of Gideon and for the remainder of his time. After that, the nation of Israel slid away from Jehovah God and started serving and worshiping all the other gods. God did not have to punish them with the Gentiles. All he had to simply do was take his hand of protection away. He took his hand of protection away, and the Gentiles poured in there and overcame the nation of Israel. So the bad actors in this particular part of the book of Judges are the Philistines coming from the Mediterranean Sea, so they're coming from the west, and the Ammonites are coming from the east. And so Jephthah and Samson are contemporaries. They served in roughly the same period of time. Samson was called to try to liberate the nation of Israel from the Philistines, and Jephthah was called to liberate the nation of Israel from the Ammonites. So, you know, this is the the context of what we're we're going through. And so for the sake of time today, uh, does anybody else's watch be off by an hour like mine is? Mine says it's 9.30. We'll be here for an extra hour because my watch is off. So uh, we're going to, for the sake of time, this is going to be the Reader's Digest condensed version of the lives of these two guys. I'm going to try to give you the life of Jephthah in five minutes or less, the life of Samson in five minutes or less. And if you need more, believe me, there's lots and lots of meat here. You're going to have to go back and read it for yourself. So Jephthah, Judges 10, and 12, 10 through 12, Jep, Jephthah's father was a, was a leader in Gilead, and yet his mother was a prostitute. Jephthah's father a, a adopted him as his own and raised him, but his, his, his siblings eventually ran him out of their family because they said, uh, you shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you have another, you're the son of another woman. Uh, and so we don't know what age he was, when he was when he was forced out of his home by his siblings, but we know he went to another town called Tob. We know that at that point in time, he pulled a, together a group of people around himself that are described in the Bible as scoundrels. Uh, and that he, they, these scoundrels were known to probably have made their living by preying on caravans, meaning they were thieves. They would, they would come on, on caravans, steal stuff from them. That's how they made their living. So Jephthah is not exactly a stellar character here, but it also says that Jephthah was a mighty warrior. And because the Ammonites were pressing down so hard on the, nation, uh, on the nation of Israel, the people of Gilead, the leaders of Gilead, came back to Jephthah. They came to Tob, they got him, and they said, We'd like for you to come back and lead our armies against the Ammonites. And Jephthah said, You've got to be out of your mind. I mean, you guys threw me out of your country. Now you want me to come back and fight for you against a force that is vastly superior to me and to our forces. Uh, and they said, Yes, that's what we want, that's what we need. So he struck a deal with them. He was so godly that he struck a deal, and he said, "Listen, if I win, and if we win against the Ammonites, you're going to make me the the, the head over all of Gilead. So there's something in it for me if I do this, right?" He, they said, "Yep, we assure you that." So he's off and running. So he comes before the Lord after after winning this negotiation with the nation of Gilead, and uh, he uh, comes before the Lord and he commits himself to the Lord at Mizpah. So now we see, in spite of the fact that he was a uh, ran around with scoundrels and. Prayed on caravans and was a little, uh, not exactly a uh, patriot for his own people. He was a person that believed in God. He believed that God was. He committed himself to God. And then he proceeded to try to negotiate a peaceful resolution with the Ammonites. Long story short, the king of the Ammonites says no. And so scripture tells us what happens next uh, in Judges 11. Then the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. And he passed through, through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. From Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you give the Ammonites into my hands, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So we see several things in this verse. First of all, we see that Jephthah has a a living faith in God. He believes that God is. He believes and knows completely that victory or failure will be victory will only come if the lord is on his side he understands i'm not in charge of this i can't do this by myself and he submits himself to god he's even willing to show to to show his good uh, faith by making a sacrifice and making a promise or a pledge to god uh, that if you if you win this battle i'm going to give you a sacrifice whatever comes out of the front door of my house when i come home i don't care what it is i'll sacrifice it to you so it, it shows that he's he's willing to give something It shows his total dependence on God. It shows his faith. It also shows his incredibly bad use of judgment. He has no idea what's going to come out of the house when he gets home, but he doesn't care at this moment. He's just going to get going. So, Judges 11, 32, Jephthah crossed uh, crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them. And the Lord gave them into his hands. And he struck them from Arar to the neighborhood of Minnath, 20 cities as far as Abel-Kerimim, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. So... The Lord was faithful. Let's let's start with Jephthah was faithful. Uh, Jephthah overcame his fear. He went forward. He fought against superior forces, and they won. And so Jephthah did what God called him to do. So he was a man of faith, and he was a man that his faith resulted in in him doing some works that went out in in, in, in front of God. Now the story takes a bad turn. Jephthah gets home in victory and peace, and what comes out the front door is his one and only daughter. She comes out the door first. Remember, whatever came out the door first needs to be set up as a burnt sacrifice to the Lord. And Jephthah gulps and says, oh, no, what am I going to do? I have to keep my pledge to the Lord. His daughter finds out about it, and his daughter says, you know, Father, if you pledged my life to the Lord, you've got to follow through. So she goes away for a little while, comes back, and in the end, she's sacrificed. And she is given to the Lord, and she loses her life. And Jephthah stays on as a judge. Over Israel for another seven years. So, great story, horrible ending. And we're going to come back to that in a minute uh, with his daughter. So now comes Samson in five minutes or less. Samson, uh, we know this story because we've seen the movie, right? We all know what happens in the movie. Uh, Samson was anointed for service to God before, even before his birth. His mother and father were God-fearing and godly people. But barren Uh, the angel of the lord came to samson's mother and said you're going to have a child the child is going to be a son i want you to set him aside as a nazarite now that's not a nazarene meaning somebody who's from nazareth he's a nazarite it's a special calling that god puts on a person's life and he was going to be this was a mandatory calling and he told the mother that no razor shall ever touch his head you'll never cut his hair He's never going to partake of the fruit of the vine. He's going to only eat kosher food. He's never going to touch a dead animal or a dead body. There, there were certain stipulations that a Nazarite had to live by. And so she raises this child up, and he grows up to be a young man who has tremendous strength. And as we see in the story, he, he must have been like the Tasmanian devil, because I don't know how one guy can take on a 1,000 people, or how one guy can take on 3,000 people. don't know how that happens, but he had tremendous strength, and he was equipped, he was called by God, to liberate his people from the Philistines. He was equipped by God to liberate his people from the Philistines. It's all good until we see the character of Samson. We find out that Samson is a person of horrible character, and he's a person that has a real problem as a womanizer right from the get-go. So Samson starts into his adult life, and the first thing he wants is he, he wants to he's going to marry outside of his own faith. And in the Jewish faith, of course, that's verboten. He immediately picks a Philistine girl, tells his parents, I want her as a wife, and he goes and he he marries her. Uh, Various things happen that are unscrupulous during his wedding, and some guys cheated him in a little bit of a a riddle, and he killed 30 guys just because they cheated him in a riddle. He got upset with his wife, and he left his wife. And then, lo and behold, his father-in-law sees his abandoned daughter, so he gives his daughter to another man. Samson finds out, gets the father and his wife, burns them, kills them, and burns them to death. While he's there, he sets all the fields of the Philistines on fire, Uh, and uh, he's just—he's a guy that is, he's got a tremendous temper, he's not rational, he's lustful, he's selfish, he's self-centered, he's using the strength that God gave him for all of his own reasons, and yet at the same time, he's also plaguing the the Philistines. So the Philistines tell the the nation of Israel, you need to bind Samson and bring him to us. 3,000 Jewish men visit Samson. They thought that 2,999 was not going to do it. 3,000 men come to bind him, and he says, listen, if you promise that you won't kill me yourself, do whatever you want, tie me up, give me to the Philistines. So they tie him up, give him to the Philistines, he breaks the bonds and kills 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a a donkey and and liberates himself. So this guy has tremendous gifting, and yet it seems to be a little squandered uh, along the way. Uh, He comes and visits prostitutes. There's a whole whole checkered story of Samson's life, but Samson's undoing is finally he falls in love with Delilah, the world-famous Delilah. Delilah is a Philistine woman, again, uh, and he falls in love with her, and the the, the elders of the Philistines bribe Delilah to get her to find out the secret of his great strength. How can we neutralize this guy and and, and put an end to his reign of terror over the, the Philistines? So uh, she tricks him. She asks him three times what his source of strength is. Three times he lies to her. Three times she buys it and tries to neutralize him and turn him over to the Philistines. Three times he overcomes whatever she did uh, and, and overcomes the Philistines and everything's good. Now, you would wonder why you would hang around when this woman has tried to, to, to uh, disempower you and turn you over to your enemies three times. But the fourth time, he's so blinded by his own love and his own lust, I would guess, that he finally gives in and tells her, he says, well, the true secret of my great strength is no razor can ever touch my hair. If you cut my hair, my strength will be gone, and I'll be as any other man. So he goes to sleep, must have been a deep sleeper, because he goes to sleep, and she shaves his head while he's sleeping. I shave my head every day, and I cannot do that when I'm sleeping. I can just tell you that. So I'm not sure what happened there. She turns him over to the Philistines. They overcome him. They capture him, they gouge his eyes out, they enslave him and they now make him grind corn and they humiliate him and he's done. It's all over. So the story as we know because we've seen the movie uh, God ends up getting vengeance in the end because they worse than the fact that that Samson, Samson was belittled, humiliated, had his eyes gouged out. The Philistines read this as a sign that their God, Dagon, had overcome Jehovah God and that their God, Dagon, was the one True, powerful God, and they brought everybody, all of their leaders, three thousand people into a big stadium, to celebrate to make to celebrate Samson's defeat, and to worship their God Dagon as the one true and great God. And while they're in there, Samson's brought in, and Samson asks the God, asks God in a, in a prayer for one last time. He says, our, you know, they're they're singing this song. The Philistines are singing this song. Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand." And when the people saw him, they praised their God. That's horrible. Uh, For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. So we know that he was their arch enemy. They think their God has prevailed. Samson's prayer is this O Lord, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Let me die with the philistines so even in the end he's asking for the right thing he's asking for the power to overcome and defeat the philistines which was his initial calling right from the get-go but he's even then asking for it for the wrong reason he's not asking for that strength so that god can be honored he's asking for that strength so he can be avenged because they gouged his eyes out this is quite a character here but we know the story he puts his hands in the two pillars the pillars go out the whole stadium comes down the leaders of the Philistines are, are killed in this, and 3,000 people, the scripture says that Samson killed more in his own death than he ever did in his life. And the nation of Israel is free temporarily from the power of the Philistines. So God ends up accomplishing his work in spite of Samson's lack of ability to keep his personal life on track. So what do we learn from this? I, I'm, going to try to, I'm going to try to talk about three faith principles today that, that I drew as a conclusion from this. The first faith principle is this. Faith trusts God even when we don't understand the why or the how. Even when we don't understand the why or the how, faith still trusts God. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to be honest with you. I, I struggled with this message because I kept, I kept asking why. This doesn't seem fair to me. First of all, Samson, why did God tolerate his lifestyle? this guy is is like johnny Manziel on steroids you know you got to wonder why did they not cut him a long time ago i'm referring to samson not johnny Manziel. why did they not cut him a long time and go and put a different quarterback in his place this guy is he's just a train wreck you know and and i've got and i and i struggle with the the the, the uh, title uh unlikely heroes i don't consider this guy even an unlikely hero i mean you wonder why why god is samson in the Hall of Fame, in spite of the fact that you did so much for him, and he squandered it every step of the way. Why? I don't understand why. You look at Jephthah, and here's his here's a guy who admittedly got a rough start. But when he when he was called, he came, he submitted himself before God, he served God, and he served God effectively and, and, and served God as a judge, and he did all the right things. What did he do wrong? He won, made one rash blunder by making a vow to God over something he had no ability to really understand. The question is, so why didn't God let him out of the vow? Why, why, I mean, he ended up sacrificing his daughter. Why didn't God let him out of the vow? I mean, even Abraham, when he went up to offer up Isaac on the altar, God called him to go up and offer Isaac on the altar. And when he did, God provided himself a lamb. God provided himself a sacrifice. God could have just let him out of it. God could have told him, you know, go uh, do ten Hail Marys and, uh, and do a couple other things and you'll be fine. Nothing, nothing happened. God didn't let him out. Why? You know, i got to be honest, it did, just didn't seem fair to me. And I read the commentators and I thought, you know, the God that I know wouldn't have done that. In my own logic, it doesn't make sense to me. The commentators now try to make up reasons why it's okay. But you know what it finally boils down to? Nobody knows why. Nobody knows why. God doesn't explain why. God doesn't explain why he didn't pardon Jephthah's daughter. God doesn't explain why he used Samson and put him in the, in the, Christi- in, in the uh, faith hall of fame. So, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I find that as 21st century people, we question God a lot. Do you, do you question God ever? Do you ever come to a point in scripture where you see something that just doesn't make sense to you? Something that you don't understand and you don't know the why and you don't know the how? A circumstance in life that comes up. Somebody, a a person that's a great person dies young, or a person that's just a a dirtbag that prospers, and you don't know why, and you don't understand it. Do you ever run across a, a prayer that you pray and pray and pray and pray, this is the right thing, and it seems like there's no answer? Do you ever start to question God? True faith trusts and believes God even when we don't understand the why and the how. You know, we live in a modern world, The modern world has brought us a number of things. It brought us the Industrial Revolution. So in the Industrial Revolution, we learned that if we can control the inputs that go into a machine, the machine will give us a predictable, reliable output every time. So we concentrate, I'm a manufacturing guy, so we concentrate on the inputs. Make sure all the inputs are right. I don't worry about what comes out the other side, because the machine does that. The machine spits it out, so A plus B will always equal C. That's what the Industrial Revolution taught us. The scientific method taught us something even more diabolical. The scientific method taught us that truth is really ju- nothing is really deemed to be true unless it can be proven by repeatable experimentation. So a controlled experiment done repeatedly over and over that gets the same result now tells you that this is true. So if you try A plus B and it spits out C repeatedly, now C is actually true. If it doesn't and they can't repeat it in an experiment, it's not true. It's like the parting of the Red Sea. The scripture tells us that God parted the Red Sea. And, and scientists say, uh, boy, we need to study that. We, they immediately try to begin to figure out how to part the Red Sea. Since they can't figure out how to part the Red Sea, and even nobody on the History Channel can figure out how to do it, uh, part the Red Sea, uh, it must not have ever happened. It's not true. So, this is the world that we all grew up in, boys and girls. This happened in our nation, you know, long before any of us were born. As Christians we are we are affected by this mindset so when we approach the scripture and when we approach our Christian lives we're looking for a formula when we research the scripture we're looking for a formula where God says if you do a your actions and you add B your actions I will always give you C we're looking for that in the scripture unknowingly when we find patterns and when we see God doing something that's just way out there it's like, what are you doing? I, I'm, I, we're continuing to look for A plus B equals C. It's like raising your children. Raise up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. So you think, I do all the things that I'm supposed to do, and you know, uh, my child will be J. Hudson Taylor. And when that doesn't happen, you're thinking, what in the world is going on? Guys, I, I'm here to tell you that although we 21st century modern thinkers want to approach the world in this way controlling inputs to get predictable reliable outputs scripture does not in any way tell us that that's the way god works in no way does it tell us that's how god works so if you're busy searching the scripture looking for a formula so you can predict god's actions forget it god is sovereign you know the the the, when 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 god when uh moses was going to talk to pharaoh and about god moses said who shall i tell him sends me god says tell him i am sent you and moses says what tell him i am that i am god made no effort to say here's who i am here's where i came from here's how i do things here's how i don't think do things here's what you can expect here's what you can't expect he just said i am god is self-existent he owes nobody an answer to what he does everything that we see the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof the world and all they that dwell therein this is his game he can do whatever he darn well pleases Uh, and he makes no promise that he's going to be predictable and reliable uh, by our standards or to do things that we can understand he does tell us that my ways are not your ways he clearly tells us that my ways are not your ways god is not limited to patterns uh our formulas that we want uh him to be now the scripture does tell us that god is that, that god is unorthodox it tells us that god is unpredictable and and uh we're unable to reproduce these things how do we give me an example well god parted the red sea i mean the nation of israel didn't run up to the edge of the red sea and say god would you part the red sea how would they have even asked for that they couldn't have even thought to ask for that god just did it then they were thirsty and water came out of a rock he didn't part the sea a hundred times guys this was not a pattern that god says every time you run up to the water i'm going to part the sea he parted the sea one time because it served his own purposes he did what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it how he wanted to do it never did it again he brought water out of a rock nobody said hey lord we're really thirsty can you bring water out of that rock no god did it did it once he didn't do it over and over and over again Uh, you know we we see this in scripture gideon overcomes 20,000 people with 300 pots and a, and a couple trumpets. He, he, he liked trumpet, 20,000 people kill each other. And then they go home, day's done. He didn't do that over and over again. He did it one time. What makes us think? What makes us think that we can question God? What makes us think that we can predict Him? What makes us think that even said we could predict Him? Uh, I think that eventually people of faith come to a crisis of faith. There are things that circumstances that happen in our life that test our faith scripture tells us there will be conditions that will test our faith at some point in time you have to come to the conclusion that there are some things about God I will never understand I just have to accept that there are some things I will never understand I'm gonna spend more of my time trying to know God and less time trying to know about God God's ways are so far above our ways our minds are childlike by comparison to God's. When God tells you don't go out and do this, it'd be like you telling your kid, don't go out in the middle of Fulton and play hockey with your friends. Your kids don't know why they can't go out in Fulton, so they think, boy, that's not fair, and I don't know what's wrong with my parents, and blah blah blah. Well, when they grow up, they'll know why they can't play in the middle of Fulton. But when they're kids, they don't know any better. God created a mind, we use 10% max of the brain power that we have. God created the whole brain power. And we're with our finite 10%. We're going to question why god does what he does and how he does it i think faith is going to trust god and it's going to believe god regardless of whether we know how and why and i'm sorry that's not popular and i know modern scientists would reject that thing but this is why they call it faith guys and i can tell you there have been times that i've prayed i I can think one time in particular i was running a business that my dad owned that was going it was almost going bankrupt and we were trying to save that company and i had a meeting the next day with the bank that was going to be just make or break. And it was, it was, it was, uh, it was snowing out. It was, I was in Michigan, walking in the snow, snowing like crazy, and I'm praying like crazy. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, we got to do this. This has got, I need the right answer tomorrow. And I did not hear an audible voice. Don't know why other people hear them, but I don't. But I never heard an audible voice. But it was like an audible voice. Pat, if this doesn't go the way you want it to tomorrow, will you still trust me? I didn't know how to answer. I took about five minutes to think about it. And I said, you know what, Lord, no matter what happens tomorrow, I'm going to trust you. It didn't go well. And it continued to not go well over and over and over again for the next 12 months. Looking back on that day, I'm so thankful God did not answer my prayer the way I asked him to. It would have been disastrous for me. It would have been disastrous for me if he had He given me what I asked for. But back then, I didn't know. I just had to trust and look into the future. So this is the way it is for us, guys. Second faith principle is this. God's God works through imperfect people for his purpose. Obviously, we're looking at Samson and Jephthah, and we're understanding they're not perfect people. Sometimes I think that we feel that God can't use us if we're not perfect. There's sin in my life. My goodness, one of the reasons he probably let Samson get away with it because he could hold it up in front of us and say, if if I can use this guy, I can use anybody. Uh, You know, it could could be one of the reasons why I did that. God knows our frame. Scripture says he knows our frame, he knows we are but dust. He knows we're not going to be perfect but god loves us anyways he knows our heart he knows our intentions he knows that we trust him he knows we want to do the right thing even though we don't always do the right thing and so god is going to work in us he he loves us he's going to work in us he's going to work through us the sins of our past don't disqualify us so it's it, it it gives us hope for a better future we do find out that in christ we can be a new creature we can be i find hope in that i don't know about you When I see the scriptures say, and we can be renewed day by day. When I read Psalm 23 and I see the psalmist say, and he restoreth my soul and guides my paths in righteousness for his namesake. I I don't know about you, but I can identify with that. When I'm not doing things the best way I could and my head's not in the right place and my heart's not in the right place, I can sit down in the quietness of the morning, get my Bible out, and there's something that is like, uh, it's like salve. It's, he's restoring your soul. Even when you do all the things wrong, He's going to renew you if you ask Him to. This is by faith. Trusting that God still loves me, don't know why, but He still does and He's still going to work in me and He's not giving up on me. Um, so only God can get the glory. He knows, he knows that we're flawed and yet He works in us. And we see that in Jephthah and Samson over again. Last faith principle is that God, God's love, and accept, God's love, acceptance, and empowerment for service will not protect us from the consequences of our own sins. Galatians 6-7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. This is an unescapable principle of life. It's inescapable. If you know, Even in spite of the fact that, that Samson was called by God, he was serving God, and he was a man of faith, and he did great things for God, he did not escape the consequences of his sin. God can forgive him, and obviously God did forgive him because he put him in, in Hebrews 11. God is saying, I love that guy. I put him in Hebrews 11, and yet the consequences of his sin were still very real. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For what, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Where's, where's your punishment coming from? It's coming from your own flesh. God doesn't have to come down and rain fire out of the sky on you. God doesn't have to punish you your own sin will punish you but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life and let us not grow weary in doing well we see this principle work in Samson and Jephthah even men of faith commit rash acts that they're ashamed of later the faith of the faith and previous previous acts of obedience don't protect us from the consequences of the things that we do Jephthah lost his only daughter Samson Lost his eyes, lost his, his reputation, was humiliated, was defeated, and ultimately lost his life, and ultimately disgraced God with, because of his actions. There is a natural system at work, this principle of reaping and sowing. I just, you know, there's, there's nothing that overcomes it. You know, I, I'm convinced that the nation of Israel, as they went through their cycles of sin and repentance uh, and then re- restoration, when they were conquered by the gentile nations i don't believe that god for a minute had to go and punish them god didn't have to send lightning bolts down to punish them all he had to do was simply withdraw his hand of protection he withdraws his hand of protection and the natural system of the world punished the nation of israel you know you think about this from the standpoint of, of a, a, your own marriage or your own family you spent a lifetime trying to build a, a, a good name for yourself and build a trusting relationship relationships between people are based upon trust if there is no trust there is no relationship if you violate that trust let's say that you have an affair you have an affair with somebody else you violate that trust even though a person the person that you betrayed may forgive you your marriage may not break up that person may forgive you you may they may try to forgive you they may not make you move to another house they may continue to live with you but your marriage is done for the trust that was there is gone the trust you had with your children is gone. The trust you had with the people all around you is gone. God doesn't have. God tells you don't do it. You say, God, I did it. Please forgive me. God says, I forgive you, but that doesn't that doesn't absolve you from all of the consequences downstream that will come for the rest of your life. So yes, uh, you know, God used these men, these great men. These men had faith. Their faith resulted in works. Their works honored God, but they weren't perfect. And some of the aspects of the things that weren't perfect ended up coming back as fruit that they could not get away from. That reaping and sowing thing—you put bad seed in the ground, bad fruit's coming up, and you cannot pray for crop failure. You pray for crop failure at the end, and it ain't gonna, it ain't gonna fail. That crop is gonna keep coming, and you're gonna keep living with that fruit as you go down uh, downstream. So, those are our three faith principles, uh, and you know, as I think about faith and i think about this chapter uh i I understand that faith is the central issue between god and his people our relationship with god begins with faith faith is required for us every step of the way in order to please god you know we are to to walk by faith and it's our our very faith that pleases god as we move down the 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 pike so we have to understand it we have to, to focus on this our sins can be forgiven by the simple act of faith When you're walking outside of God, simply by saying, God, I believe you are who you are, and I accept you as my Savior, I accept you as my Lord, the sins of our lives can be forgiven. We can have an eternity with God by the simple act of faith. Now, walking by faith for the rest of your life is anything but simple. It's a continual, litany of things that either challenge our faith or strengthen our faith, and challenge our faith and strengthen our faith. And those of you who've walked with the Lord for a number of years know how that feels. So if you're, if you're new, to, new to the Bible, you're new to the claims of Christ, I, I'd ask you, do you believe that God is who He says He is? Do you believe that God is the creator and the sustainer of the universe? Do you believe that He is the righteous judge? Do you believe that He is the Savior, the one and only Savior? If you believe those things, then by faith, I challenge you to step forward. I would challenge you to commit your life to God and accept His free gift by faith. This is the beginning of a relationship with you. If you have if you don't have that relationship with God and that has not begun it begins by faith for those of us that have been walking with the Lord for a long time I, I'd have to ask you where are you in your faith journey we tell people I'm a person of faith and I'm on a faith journey where are, are you in your faith journey are you at the point where you have learned and your faith has been strengthened and you're effectively serving the Lord and you're trying to walk with him in in, in faith and in obedience or are you at a position where you are downtrodden and slipping away from the lord because your faith has been destroyed i challenge you to think twice about uh about that that position with god let's pray as we conclude lord we come to you today we just want to tell you that we do believe that you are we believe that you are the rewarder of them that diligently seek you we want to tell you that we love you we understand that everything in our life begins and ends with you. Lord, we we want to tell you that we trust you. We believe you. We trust you and we want to honor you even when we don't know the why and the how. Lord, we know that you are uh, reliable and trustworthy and we give our lives to you. We give this day to you, Lord. Just pray that you'd work in the hearts of people here and that that we might all uh, question and evaluate where we're at in our walk with you. I pray that you'd strengthen us and renew us uh, day by day. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.